we sort of both learned how to fly fish together. We got new smaller rods and such, and it really came into the came into the picture in the way of like, hey, uh, I can still do something. Uh, I'm not completely I'm not completely hopeless anymore. There's something I can still still do that's fun, and 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 you know, at the time, my dad and I made it a little competition because you know I always loved to compete and. I still had that sort of competitiveness to me, um, you know, so we made this little game. It was, you know, you got one point if you had a fish on and two points if you landed the fish, landed meaning, you know, brought it all the way to the net and stuff. And, and through those times, you know, I, I, I learned a, a new perspective of life sort of through fly fishing. You know, there, there's always another chance. You always have a, a, another chance as long as you have hope. This is Joey Maxim, TBI survivor and fly fishing guide, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week, I'm excited to have on Joey Maxim, uh, who is a TBI survivor and a fishing guide, and I came across his story uh, when I was just surfing through YouTube, and I came across his uh, an Orvis commercial, uh, which is a fly fishing company, uh, kind of promoting their, their guide uh, course. And uh, Joey was their featured story. And as soon as I was going through it, like it was a tearjerker. It got me emotionally. I was like, I need to get this guy on the podcast uh, just based off of what he went through. So today we're going to talk about uh, his transition uh, to life after his traumatic brain injury. And he was also an athlete, you know, before the, uh, this, this accident. Um, so I'm excited to have you on. So Joey, can you uh, start off by giving us some background on uh, what your life looked like before the car accident? Yes, for sure. And thank you so much for having me on the Heads and Tails podcast, Kevin. I, I greatly appreciate it. Um, but a little bit of background on sort of what my life looked like before my car accident. Um, you know, my, my car accident happened when I was 16 years old, um, so I was still fairly young. Um, but I played basketball, soccer, and lacrosse. Um, I was, you know, the happy-go-lucky kid, uh, confident in who I was, and where I was going in life, um, you know, I'd set, you know, big goals and aspirations for myself and uh, eventually, you know, trying to attend uh, West Point, um, you know, you could, you could say I was at ease with life for lack of better terms. Um, you know, life was good, had friends, couldn't really complain about anything. Home life was great. Um, you know, it was, life was good. It was dandy. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people can listening to this can relate to, you know, being a three sport athlete and everything seems to be going your way. And then all of a sudden, you know, at the snap of a finger, your whole life, you know, turns around. So, you know, take us through the accident and kind of the aftermath afterwards. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, the accident, it was, you know, a normal day. Uh, I grew up riding, you know, quads and dirt bikes with my sisters and neighbors. So we were all just sort of riding quads around that day. And I was actually later that evening going to a sweet 16 birthday party. You know, it was the girl's birthday party or whatnot. 
it was fun. Um, but I was getting driven home from a buddy uh, who was a few years older. And we were about five, uh, four or five minutes from uh, my house. And we came up to this bend in the road where uh, right after the bend, the hill drops, you know, drastically. And it, it drops so steep where in the winter, you know, they'll close it sometimes uh, if, if the snow and weather makes it too dangerous. And we came up around that bend and we were going, I guess, a little too fast. And uh, through the investigators, you know, estimate we were going upwards of, you know, 60 miles an hour. And that caused us to fly, you know, 50 to 100 feet in the air crossing the road and cutting through a pine tree and uh, crossing these, this, these people's driveway and actually sort of sticking the landing into an oak tree uh, right above the trunk of the tree. It was it was it was rough, I guess, but I was later told, and uh, I don't necessarily remember all this, so uh, bear with me on some of it. But I was later told I was knocked out and uh, sort of on leaning on the center console, and it's actually the gentleman across the street uh, from the house that we crashed in from the crash. We crashed in this lady's front yard, the the house across the street. It was that guy who came out and was actually sort of the first person there. An ambulance was luckily nearby, and uh, they were the first on the scene. Um, they evaluated the situation and decided the only way sort of that I was going to make it was by life flight. So I guess they uh, took me to this nearby park, Sardis Park, which uh, has enough room for them to land a helicopter. You know, it has like baseball fields and soccer fields and such. But we got into the helicopter and we flew down to AGH or Allegheny General Hospital, uh, where they immediately put me in the trauma unit and I was assigned a social worker. Um, it's not really the greatest thing when, when that sort of happens. Uh, life sort of is sort of teetering at that point. So my parents, uh, got a call from, uh, the paramedics or the police and, you know, they were told, your son had been flown down to Allegheny General Hospital. Um, you're going to want to, you know, get down there sort of ASAP as soon as possible. Things aren't looking necessarily the best. And that's sort of where life changed. That's sort of where, where life went head over heels for me. Yeah, I mean, that your story, I can relate to a lot of that in terms of, you know, things being fuzzy, you know, leading up to it. And also, you know, I got airlifted from my brain injury as well. Uh, and onto, you know, or from, uh, some base, local baseball fields and, and stuff like that. So, you know, in those ways, our, our stories are pretty similar. Um, were you wearing a seatbelt or, um, there's sort of controversy over that. I think I was wearing a seatbelt, uh, cause sort of how the story goes. And, um, I remember up to a certain point and, uh, leaving the party, I was actually in, uh, a different friend's vehicle. But a bunch of other people hopped in. It was just like too jammed. You know, I couldn't have my own seat and seatbelt. So that's why I ended up getting into a different vehicle. So I assume I had my seatbelt on. But when the ambulance got there, the they said I didn't have my seatbelt on. But I'm not sure if I took it off, you know, because when the paramedics sort of were starting to try to get me out of the car and stuff, they said I started, you know, sort of thrash around and freak out a little bit. but. I'm not sure if I, I had it on or not, to be honest with you. 
Well, yeah. I mean, if you didn't go in the one car because you wanted to have a seatbelt on, then I'm assuming you probably had it on. So maybe someone, yeah, like took it off of you or something after the accident. That's what I'd assume. But uh, who who knows, you know, sort of up in the air. Yeah. Uh, so what were the extent of your injuries specifically? You know, when, when you once you got to the hospital, what were they saying? The extent of my injuries uh, wasn't necessarily the best. I was told I had a traumatic, or my parents, I guess, was told I had a traumatic brain injury uh, that they later found, found out, you know, it's called global shearing, sort of where the axons in your brain are either ripped or shredded apart. I had two collapsed lungs, which I aspirated in. Uh, my spinal cord was pinched in um, two different spots, but somehow, some way, there's an angel's hands on my neck or something uh not paralyzed it was rough the doctors didn't didn't necessarily know if i was going to make it due to the extent of my brain injury and all the brain bleeds and my lungs you know both my lungs being collapsed and they weren't sure it was sort of up in the air for a while so how are you affected i guess i guess what was your and I know the doctors said like your prognosis was kind of unclear at the time and kind of erring on the side of probably not the best outcome. Um, but how did these injuries affect you? And can you take us into a little bit of what your recovery looked like? Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I had to get a uh, tracheostomy surgery done um, in the operating room. Uh, they put a ventilator down into my lungs. So for 13 days, I was sort of living on something that was pumping my chest up and down, breathing for me. And, and none of this, I, I don't remember. This is all what was told to me um, based off of sort of medical records. But needless to say, I had the tracheostomy, the ventilator put into my lungs. Um, they had to put a shunt into the back of my head to relieve pressure and to drain fluids from my brain. Uh, sort of as gross as that sounds, sort of a delicate procedure too. Uh, there's only one spot they can do it in and the doctor uh, has to get it, you know, sort of dead nuts on. So uh, very, very, uh, my parents were on, ed on edge uh, for lack of better terms, especially for that one. But um, recovery, recovery was, was tough. The first thing I remember was waking up in the Children's Institute uh, in Squirrel Hill, straight outside, right outside the city of Pittsburgh. And, you know, the first day, it was very uncomfortable. It was, it was a very scary feeling. You know, the people that work there, believe it or not, are, are, are true, truly special people, um, through multiple, you know, sessions of cognitive therapy, uh, occupational therapy, speech therapy, um, physical therapy, uh, you know, we made it, we made it through. It, it was very tough, uh, at a lot of times, uh, mentally and emotionally, um, not only for me, but family and friends as well. But, you know, it, it, when things get tough, uh, how do I say this? You find something in yourself that you never really find before. Um, and, and in a way it's sort of cool. But, but I wouldn't have learned all that unless I would have gone through, through all these things. Um, but therapy was tough. Did it for, um, I got, let's see, 
they took me, uh, I got out of the Children's Institute and was moved to outpatient therapy where uh, I still couldn't go to school because I had an open trach. Um, so luckily, sort of therapy for me was me and my dad would, you know, wake up, we'd go fly fishing and we'd come home and uh, play ping pong. And um, throughout that, uh, I would be going to therapy sessions through uh, the outpatient program at Children's Institute. So we'd be sort of fulfilling my day, trying to extend my day um, because of, the, you know, a lot of the deficits I had uh, from my traumatic brain injury where, you know, that I had a very, very short attention span, um, like down to down to three seconds, four seconds. Uh, it was pretty bad at a time. I also, you know was diagnosed short-term memory loss, an impulse control disorder, ADD, narcolepsy, you know, I, due to uh, being in a induced coma for so long and uh, the brain injury, the, my cycles of sleep sort of got uh, screwed up a little bit, um, leaving me with narcolepsy, but we're working through that. I had neck and back issues that we had to work through, through multiple sessions of, you know, physical therapy and such diagnosed PTSD after, you know, had to go to multiple sessions of therapy for that through the Children's Institute and Allegheny General. It's, it, it was tough. Um, it still has been tough. Um, you know, with a, with a TBI, it's almost like it's something new every day uh, that you have to learn to go through. Um, but I'll tell you, it's all worth it. Recovery from a TBI is uh, lifelong. Um, but something I'm thankful for, uh, in a way, you know, there's a lot of hard times to come, but, uh, there's a lot of hard times I've gotten past. So it helps to remind myself, uh, you know, that I'm strong enough to do another day, you know, and whatever comes, it's going to be great. Yeah, no, I could resonate with that as well. Yeah. There's definitely, definitely hard times that come with the traumatic brain injury and you've obviously overcome a ton, you know, since, since the accident, um, was there ever a time when you were, you know, during your recovery that you were thinking about sports, you know, like, were you ever told that you couldn't play sports again? And, um, you know, what were your thoughts, you know, towards that? Yeah, totally. Actually, I had those thoughts for, for quite some time after, after I sort of got out of, uh, the children's Institute and whatnot. Um, because in one of the, the last meetings with my doctors and therapists before getting transferred to outpatient um, is when I was told, you know, I would never be able to play contact sports again or ride quads or dirt bikes or go skiing or snowboarding or realistically do anything required or I couldn't do anything that required a helmet or, you know, that could cause another head injury. And if you think about it, you know, that's almost anything in life. Um, like to the point where, you know, they make you put uh, or highly recommend, um, you know, you put one of those shower mats down in your shower as soon as you get home from outpatient so you don't slip in the tub, you know, in a big rug, on, uh, you know, outside the shower. So if you have a towel floor or something, you don't slip and fall. That, that meeting when the doctor told me that I could never play sports again, you know, I grew up a very competitive person. A little more background about myself. My dad is the youngest of eight and my mom's the youngest of nine. So uh, at big family parties and stuff, um, or when, the, you know, both sides of the family would be over the house for mine and my sister's birthday parties when we were younger, 
you almost had to be competitive in, in the way of like speaking in order to get heard. There's so many people you, you're not going to get heard unless you know you're competitive in a way. You you sort of get louder than everyone else or whatnot. It it was it was tough, uh, very tough when they told me I couldn't play contact sports. You know, at first I thought it was a joke. Going from playing three sports, at which you know two of those sports I played for two different teams, to never going to never playing again, you know, thought it was a joke. Uh, but through you know the time after going to outpatient therapy, you know I, I realized you know it's not a joke, and you know I I finally realized that you know hey Joey they weren't kidding you're you're going to have to learn to live life in a new way now and, and sort of figure everything out again uh with the traumatic brain injury life's not going to be the same uh, and that's very difficult to hear you don't really understand it you don't or, or you don't want to understand it or comprehend it at the time when they tell you because at that time you're like moving out of impatient going to outpatient finally moving back to your real house that's like an awesome thing you're super pumped and they drop that on you and it's like uh, uh oh my goodness uh, this isn't something that just ends it's tough it's very tough it makes you feel hopeless um it makes you feel very hopeless well can you take us through some of the some of your lowest points and kind of how you bounce back through that and maybe how uh fly fishing helped you you bounce back from that and just when you, you mentioned that feeling of hopelessness um, in that Orvis video, you mentioned a quote and I don't know if uh, you want to talk about that quote, um, but I'll let you, get you I'll let you tell your, your story. Yeah, for sure. I'll touch on that a little bit, but some of my lowest moments, uh, lowest moments started to hit uh, probably the time I started going back to, to school. That was, let's see about two months after I got out of the two or three months after I got out of the children's institute. But, uh, you know, because my attention span and the cognitive de deficits at the time, you know, I was no longer that 4.0 GPA three sport athlete, Joey Maxim anymore. Uh, and, and at first I'm not going to lie, but I thought I was like the old Joey Maxim. Uh, I didn't know, I didn't know how to be, uh, as a TBI patient at first, you know, and as time went on, uh, only going, you know, only going to school for an hour, uh, a day and, and all the learning help I would get. And, you know, my, my accident happened after the last day of basketball tryouts. That was obviously out of the picture. Now the coach called my dad and told him I had made the team and that if I wanted to, I could still be the team manager. So I tried that out, you know, being there, you know, I just didn't fit in. You know, as the new Joey Max in there, I couldn't be there. You know, being scared of a basketball might, you know, hit me in the head or someone might bump me too hard. Uh, I knew it wasn't for me anymore, which was very hard to come to grips with. And that, you know, led to me realizing, you know, oh, crap, you know, I, I really can't play any of these sports anymore. You know, sorry for, for swearing, but, you know, damn, I can't ride quads or dirt bikes anymore. Uh, you know, I can't, I, I realistically, I can't, I'm not allowed, I can't do this. This, this stuff can't, can't, can't be in my life, uh, to the extent of which it was anymore. And at that sort of moment, the world sort of stops and, uh, hopelessness at that point overrides everything. Days would be very difficult. Uh, you know, you'd go home, come home, 
sort of lost in life, not knowing, you know, how to deal with it and, and um, sort of just feel like you're blown in the wind. But fly fishing came in at the perfect time. Uh, during those tough times at home doing nothing, my parents sort of recognized that. And this was sort of uh, where everything started to, to turn around. Um, my parents went down to Cabela's and bought me a beginner's fly tying kit. So I actually first started to, I, and, and taught myself how to tie flies um, to an extent before I learned actually how to fly fish. You know, so tying, after tying up some poorly tied, uh, but highly memorable flies, you know, I was like, dad, what am I going to do with all these flies? You know, there's no point in having them if I'm not going to fish them. Uh, and so, you know, later that day, me and my dad went to, down to Cabela's uh, to buy my first fly rod, uh, which was pretty awesome. It was a nine foot eight weight Cabela's combo. And from there, it was, you know, to steelheading. Steelheading is a, a, a trout that runs out of Lake Erie into the tributaries um, to spawn. And then they run back down, back into the lake. Um, and, you know, I, I had success in, you know, tying this fly, although, you know, looked awful. I, you know, I tied one of the flies I, I had tied on and threw the freezing cold water up at uh, Lake Erie uh, on, on Walnut Creek, uh, specifically at Manchester Hole. I hooked into my first steelhead trout and, or I should say, uh, lake run rainbow. If you live out West and, uh, fish for true anadromous steelhead, um, caught my first steelhead trout out of Lake Erie, out of the one of the tributaries and, uh, success sort of set in and, uh, it was an awesome thing. It was a great thing. Um, and, and that led to, uh, that springtime that the next spring that followed that winter, my dad and I, you know, we, I still wasn't going to school full time and I would go to school for the first three periods a day and my dad would pick me up. We'd, uh, go fly fishing right there at a local stream. Uh, I'm blessed to say that the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission does a great job of stocking a bunch of great little trout waters around the state, um, that aren't, aren't a, too far of a drive from your house. So we sort of both learned how to fly fish together. We got new smaller rods and such, and it really came into the came into the picture in the way of like, hey, uh, I can still do something. Uh, I'm not completely I'm not completely hopeless anymore. There's uh, there's there's uh, something I can still still do that's fun and 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 you know at the time my dad and I made it a little competition because you know I always loved to compete and I still had that sort of competitiveness to me. Um, you know, so we made this little game. It was, you know, you got one point if you had a fish on and two points if you landed the fish, landed, meaning, you know, brought it all the way to the net and stuff. And, and through those times, you know, I, I, I learned a, a new perspective of life sort of through fly fishing. You know, there, there's always another chance. You always have a, a, another chance as long as you have hope. You can sort of, uh, through that, through the video that Orvis put out, it's called Mend. Um, you know, you can sort of always mend life like you can mend a, a, a drift in fly fishing, so to speak. And, and it's about holding on to that hope. Uh, it, fly fishing is something amazing. It's almost uh, religious in a way. 
Yeah, and I'll definitely link that video up in the show notes for this episode. Um, definitely, definitely an important part of how I got connected with you in the first place. Um, but I'll read specifically what that quote was, and you did a good job of like telling the story and, and everything like that. Uh, it says, the charm of fishing is that it is the pursuit of what is elusive uh, but attainable, the perpetual series of occasions for hope. And that's exactly kind of what you were in search for, you know, once you were told that you couldn't play you know, those sports anymore and, you know, ride dirt bikes and ride quads and do all those things that you kind of identified with, you know, before your accident. Um, but when you found fly fishing, it sounds like it, it can, cont- it gave you chances for hope every single day. So that's, uh, really a, a really cool part of, of your story. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And especially that you tied the fly and, you know, when you first went fly fishing, you caught, you know, the, those fish with the, the flies that you, you tied, you know, throughout your recovery. It's, it's, a uh, it's really cool. So do is there a level of like, uh, I'm big on creative outlets for athletes and having kind of like a passion outside of your sports, um, to kind of almost not fall back on, but also act as an escape. And I know when I was in high school, I always drifted towards fishing in my downtime. So like whenever I didn't have practice in the summer, I would be at a local pond, you know, bass fishing with, with my friends. And that was kind of like my escape and things that I always look toward, look forward to. And I feel like you have that escape with fishing, uh, but also with fly fishing in particular, you have a level of creativity in that you can tie your own flies. Do you, would you agree with that? And do you think that that kind of helped you in your recovery as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it, I needed, I needed success coming out of the children's institute um you're at a low point uh when you realize you can't do any of the things that sort of brought you that feeling of success whether it was you know winning or losing a, a game um because because you know both of those are a success in a way um uh, and i think success is crucial uh, in life for everybody um and that's what fly fishing gave me it gave me success um and it gave me something you know sort of to work for you put in some time tying some flies, uh, you know, watching videos on YouTube and, and reading sort of these different recipes, so to speak, on how to tie these these flies and, and sort of how to fish them and, and what fish to catch for or, you know, what what fish, what species of fish these flies are, are mainly targeting. Um, and, you know, at what times a year, what what fish eat, what what flies and um, you can go into fly fishing as deep as you want. Uh, or as shallow as you want. Um, and it's almost like golf in a way. Uh, it's something that you can sort of do lifelong. And you can do it with your family, which is pretty cool too. But yeah, tying flies definitely played a major role in recovery from, from a TBI. One of the big things, the frontal lobe of my brain was uh, primarily injured uh, in in my car accident. And that sort of has what they call your executive functions, uh, your planning of your day, your planning of what you're going to do, whether it's from your morning routine, your morning schedule, or your work schedule, or whatnot. Um, and tying flies, actually, believe it or not, uh, helped me out a lot with learning how to, you know, write things down in a list and uh, being able to look at them. Okay, to tie this fly, I need to, you know, get these materials, and um, once I get these materials. Uh, to tie the fly, you know, these are the steps in order that you have to do it and, you know, use this 
piece of material at this time in this certain way you use it and uh, it helped it helped me in that way to in the way of executive functions to to organize uh my day to organize my morning what i'm what i'm gonna do believe it or not no i i can i totally believe that and uh I, I, you know, when I first heard your story, it, you know, I almost saw it as like, like, I feel like this would be great for any traumatic brain injury survivor, you know, just with the this dexterity and, you know, tying the fly and kind of all the information, like you said, that goes into it as, you know, what, what time of year to use it. And, um, it's very, uh, interesting. Um, a little earlier on, you mentioned when you were in school that you weren't the same Joey Maxim anymore, the 4.0 grade point average with, you know, uh, three sport athlete, all that stuff. Um, you know, how did that affect your ego or did your ego ever come in, in there and be like, you know, what, like, what the hell's going on? And how, how did you ultimately overcome graduating from high school? Cause I know that that's something that you did eventually accomplish. Oh yes. Well, my ego was actually very beside itself. Um, you know, playing three sports, you almost sort of find your identity in going to practice every day or twice a day or, or going to this, this game and then this tournament over the weekend, uh, over in Ohio or down in Virginia or somewhere. Um, going from a very active lifestyle to doing, you know, nothing, your ego gets crushed. Uh, you get sort of lost as a person, so to speak. And it, it, it's tough to find yourself again uh, at that at that very moment, and it takes time. But with time, good things come. If if that sort of helps to answer a little bit, what it took to you know overcome coming through high school, man, it was tough. I had to be you know put on a you know sort of learning plan, so to speak, and uh, that's tough going from you know I was going to highest honor or you know honors classes, uh, you know, all honors classes to now where I'm only going to three classes a day. And, uh, you know, I have an IEP or an individualized learning plan, um, so to speak. And it, it, it plays uh, a, a big, a big detriment in, on your ego. You feel like you always need help. You sort of begin to feel that uh, you become a drag to everyone uh, in a way because you're not like how you used to be or how you thought you used to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Um, and when did you eventually go to guide school? I went to guide school um, May this year, May of 2018. Actually, not this year, now that it's 2019. May of 2018. All right, next question is, uh, you know, what advice do you have for other traumatic brain injury survivors? Um, advice for other TBI survivors. Um, wow. I could probably say a lot right here, but being a TBI survivor, I don't, don't want to put, uh, a ton of information, uh, out there and uh, get information overload. Cause I know, uh, with the traumatic brain injury or the one that I have, uh, sometimes I get information overload, so to speak. And but one piece of advice, you know, for TBI survivors, I think is, you know, what hurdle, whatever hurdle you, you're, you know, you face or you're coming up against, uh, whether it's in life or, 
uh, in recovery from a TBI, you know, no, no, no matter how big sort of the mountain seems in front of you, sort of no matter how, how much the past sort of always seems in the present, no matter what, you know, you can't give up hope. I think that's the most crucial thing. Um, you know, hope I, I believe is the blueprint, uh, in, you know, and faith is the contractor. Um, and I, I don't know if you heard that I hope is the blueprint and faith is the contractor, um, you know, and how is a contractor supposed to build anything of usefulness, let alone build anything to, to weather a storm, um, without a blueprint. Um, and, you know, I say that in, in regards to, um, yeah, it's a cool way to, to, to put it after TBI life sort of vanishes, so to speak, friends vanish. Um, every day you vanishes, uh, you sort of get almost feel like you're just blown in the wind, but you got to have hope in something, hope in another day, hope in a, hope in a better tomorrow. And with that hope will come faith. Um, and it just takes time. You can look at multiple things about, uh, the brain and the studies of the brain and neuropathways and how you can, you know, sort of rebuild neuropathways by uh, continuing to think, uh, you know, positive things or, or, or the way you want to think. But I don't want to dive too deep into that because I'm not 100% uh, sure about all of that. That's just what a lot of my doctors tell me. But I know you got to have hope because with help, without hope, you, you sort of can't do anything. Hope, hope starts everything. Um, without hope, you know, nothing would have ever been sort of done. If you if you really think about it, and I, and I think that's the most crucial thing for a TBI survivor is, is to never lose or never give up hope for a better tomorrow. No, that's great advice. Um, so, what what's next for for Joey Maxim? I know you have some some plans that you had mentioned in an email. Yes, totally. Well, you know, here shortly I'll be moving back out to Teton Valley, um, where I'll be working for Worldcast Anglers. And, you know, I'm an aspiring fly fishing guide uh, who is truly living the dream, which is pretty cool to say. Um, but here in the near future, uh, a men foundation uh, will, will arrive that, you know, is centered on sharing a new way of life and, 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 and a new hope for all TBI survivors. It's in the making. I, I don't necessarily want to say a whole, whole lot um, as of right now, um, but it'll be out there here, here shortly. Um, there'll be a Facebook page and, um, you can contact me, uh, you know, Joey Maxim, um, on Facebook, uh, or, or I'm sure you'll, you'll see me through Mender or, or something. Um, but it'll be out there and you'll see it through Facebook and, um, and, and social media platforms such as Instagram and, and things like that. Uh, awesome. And is that the best place to connect with you on Instagram or? I would say probably the best place to connect with me is on Facebook as of right now. Um, you know, okay. send me a message. I, yeah, I'd love to get in contact with you. Um, learning how to fly fish uh, can be overwhelming if you look at it, but um, I can definitely help you through it. I'd, and I'd love to just, you know, talk to you, whether you're a TBI survivor or just, you know, sort of want to get out in the water, I'll get out on the water and go fishing one day. Um, send me a message. I'd, I'd love to talk to you. That's awesome. I'll be one of those people. I'd love to fish with you one day. 
I'm I'm in New Jersey, so I'm not too far away from you. Totally, totally. Um, actually, growing up, my family would always go to um, Avalon or like Stone Harbor, the the Cape May area, almost on on the Jersey Shore there. Um, and I've done a sort of a decent amount of fishing on the on the Jersey coast there. It's pretty awesome. Saltwater is a whole another story. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna take you up on that. Totally. Uh, and as we kind of wrap up wrap up the conversation here. Uh, what is your definition of toughness? Definition of toughness. I'm not going to lie, Kevin. Um, that was probably, you know, when I sort of asked uh, for an outline of just some of these questions to prepare a little for this, that was one of the toughest ones to answer for me because the definition of toughness, uh, you know, I think for um, can be defined in, in a couple of different ways. There are a lot of different ways, actually, uh, depending on on your story and your situation in life. But ultimately, I feel like the definition of toughness is whenever you you know or truly feel like you're backed into a corner, whether that's in life or in the trauma unit after a car accident, sort of fighting for your life. When you're backed backed into that corner, you really get to find out uh, who you are and what you're sort of made out of, so so to speak. And, and then sort of being able to not evaluate the situation you're in, but come to grips with it. And, and when all else sort of tells you nothing's going to work and there's sort of no hope that you find that hope and, and you keep going on and uh, you find that, that sort of fire inside you to keep going when everyone says you can't. I think that's the definition of toughness. Yeah, continuing on through uh, uncertainty. That's that's a great definition. And I, I ask all the athletes that come on my podcast that question um, because I feel like a lot of the times my definition of toughness has ended in or resulted in a lot of injuries to myself. Um, so I was curious what, what everyone's perspective is after they've been injured and kind of what that's been. So I appreciate you giving me that, that definition. And I also appreciate you coming on the podcast today to share your story and um, to share your hope with others that are listening um, and to show that there's, you know, life outside of their sport and life after their uh, traumatic brain injury. And um, it's just finding those things that give you hope each and every day to, to keep you going. So that was, I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. Thanks for uh, coming on, Joey. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for having me on. I, uh, it was a pleasure being on your on the Heads and Tails podcast. And please, anyone uh, suffering a TBI or, or, like I said, just wants to go out and fish or whatnot, please get in contact with me. I'd, I'd love to love to talk to you. Thank you so much, Kevin. Of course. 